Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. Have your Bibles open up with me to the book of Luke. I want to go to the book of Luke chapter uh, 10. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And I'll begin reading at verse 25. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. <clears throat> Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And I'll begin reading, and it says, it says this. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus said. He asked him, How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord thy God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength, with your strength and with your mind, and your neighbor as yourself you've answered correctly he told him and then notice what Jesus said he said do this and you will live but wanting to justify himself notice that wanting to justify himself he asked Jesus who is my neighbor Jesus took took up the question and said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers they stripped him beat him up and fled leaving him half dead A priest happened to be going down the road when he saw him. He passed on the other side in the same way a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, he passed on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. And he went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his animal or his donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him the next day he took out two denarii and gave to the innkeeper and said take care of him when I come back I'll reimburse you for whatever you for whatever extra you spend which of these three Jesus said do you think proved to be a neighbor notice there's a changing of word to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers the one who showed mercy to him he said then Jesus told him go and you do the same. I want to speak to you from this text a few moments this evening. And, um, and I want to encourage you. But I believe that what I'm going to share is something that's very important. Maybe a little different. And, um, <clears throat> but something that I believe that we must grab a hold to as a church and the body of Christ. Um, is something that's real important to our effectiveness course there is the anointing we talk about the presence of God and the power of God but I want to talk to you um, from this story and share some points with you and a thought with you that I believe if you'll receive it and not just hear it but you you activate it and act upon it the Bible said people don't profit from the word because they don't mix it with faith come on how do you know that information without without application only leads to frustration And so we're here not just to be hearers of the word, but be doers also. In the backdrop of this text, I want to talk to you about this story. Notice how the Bible said that there was an expert in the law who came to test Jesus. Now, oftentimes you would see this happen to Jesus, that these experts in the law would oftentimes come to Jesus. And notice it used the word that he came to test him. Now, that always, you know, kind of, you know, grabs my attention because I'm like, how can you test Jesus, number one? But in reality, trying to test the teacher 
most of the time they end up getting tested. And the Bible said this, that this story opens up here with two distinct questions, two important questions that's going to set us up for where we're going. What In my study, I, I was studying about different times that Jesus was questioned throughout the scripture. And I was, I was shocked to find out that it actually said, one of the historians said that throughout the gospels that Jesus was approximately asked over 300 questions. Watch this. But he only, direct, he only answered three of them directly. In other words, when he was asked a question, he either reverted the question back to the individual or he shifted to his own personal perspective. In other words, this is what they said, that Jesus refused to allow other people to set his agenda. In other words, when they would try to ask these questions, there was an agenda behind the questions. So to, for, to not succumb to these agendas, he would often redirect those questions. And this is what he did here in this story. Notice the Bible said that the first question that this expert in the law, notice he was an expert in the law. And he said to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Here's the thing. He asked the wrong question, but in his mind he had the, he, the right question, but in his mind he had the wrong answer. Notice what he said. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, he thought that eternal life would be based upon his own merits. In other words, he had this inheritance mentality. How can I inherit eternal life? I want to say you can inherit houses, you can inherit cars, you can inherit stuff and things and even money. But what you cannot do is inherit eternal life. Why do you say that, Javon? Because listen, your parents can pass down. I believe that you can pass down a heritage of faith, a heritage of, of spirituality. But every single one of us at some point has to meet Jesus Christ for ourselves. The Bible says in John three sixteen that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I don't get into heaven off my mother's salvation. I don't get into heaven off my father's salvation. I don't get into heaven off my pastor's salvation. At some point, I have to make a personal decision to follow Jesus Christ and declare him Lord of my life. Understand it's not about what you have to do, but it's about who you have to, to have to know. Because watch this, religion will always reduce God down to formulas. Religion will always say, do this and do this and do that. And the merits have to come back on you. But understand this, eternal life is not the result of good works, but the results of God's grace. I'm going to say it again. Eternal life is not about the result of good works, but it's about the results of God's grace. I am saved by grace and grace alone. If you believe that, give him a shout of praise. And notice what he says. He said, Jesus said, it is written in the law. Notice what he said. And he, and he said, what is written? How do you read it? And he answered, he said, love the Lord thy God with all of your heart and all of your strength and all of your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said this, you've answered correctly. But watch this. He said, notice what Jesus said. He said, do this and you will live. Did you catch that? 
Because see what Jesus is revealing that he was an expert in the knowledge of the law but he wasn't an expert in living out the law. He said, do this and live. Yes, you know how to quote it, but the problem is you don't know how to live it. He said, you got the scriptures in your lips, but you don't have them in your life. It's not enough. Oh yeah, I'm coming. It's not enough just to know the word in your head. You got to start living it out through your life and in your heart. I'm not impressed by how much many scriptures people can quote. I'm impressed by how many scriptures People can live. The devil can quote scriptures. Please don't get caught up. Listen, I'm not minimizing to speak in the word of God and declaring the word of God. But I want to tell you that more people will be touched and moved and witnessed to not just by the things you say, but by the life that you live. Come on, your life speaks more than your mouth. I got to do more than quote scripture. I got to be able to live scripture. It's not enough for you to know what's written. You have to live what's written. Notice the next thing he said, love the Lord thy God. Notice that with all of your heart. He didn't say serve the Lord of the Lord thy God with all of your heart. Notice what first, what came first. He said, love the Lord thy God with all of your heart, not serve the Lord thy God. Because why am I bringing that up? You watch this. What you do for God can never be substituted for your relationship with God. God. Some of us think that because I do work for him, that's equivalent to my relationship with him. It is possible to do the work of the Lord and not know the Lord of the work because we have to be worshipers before we are workers. I want you to volunteer. I want you to get involved. I want you to serve in God's house, but not before you are a worshiper. You must be a worshiper first and then you become a worker. You can never Substitute, come on, your relationship with service for God. Many get excited. I'm glad you serve and I'm glad you're doing a lot of good things. But do you know the one you're serving for? Are you spending time with the one you're serving for? Come on, somebody. Understand that. Watch this. Even the reason why this is important, because you can do a lot of things, but it will never reach its ultimate potential unless you are tapped into the source of Jesus Christ. He said, oh, Away from me, you can do nothing. He says, I am the vine, you are the branch. Abide in me and you will bear fruit. Understand that your gifting and your talent will produce some level of success. But if you want God's best from your for your life, you got to plug into the source, Jesus Christ, that produce fruit, that brings glory and honor to him. Notice what it goes on to say. Let me read this for you. One of my favorite texts in the scripture, Matthew chapter 7, it says this. And this is why it's important. This, is, this, this gets me every time I read it. The Bible said that there will be many in that day that says, Lord, Lord. The message puts it like this. Knowing the correct password saying, Master, Master, for instance, watch this, isn't going to get you anywhere with me. In other words, I talk it, I speak it, I got the language. He said, that doesn't get you anywhere with me. He said, what is required is serious obedience, doing what my father wills. I can see it now at the final judgment, thousands strutting up to me saying, Master, watch this, we preach the message, we bash demons. Our God-sponsored projects had everyone talking. Ooh, did you see that, Pastor? And do you know what I'm going to say? You missed the boat. All you did was 
use me, watch this, to make yourselves important. You don't impress me one bit. You are out of here. In other words, the, the King James says, you worker of iniquity. Your works was all about you, and it was never about me. You used my name, but you didn't know the person behind that name. It, come on, somebody. We've got to have relationship with God that becomes priority over the works for God. And it's out of my relationship that I become successful and effective in my work. Second question he says, he said, he said, who is my neighbor? And once again, Jesus did not answer him directly. He diverted again because what this expert wanted to do, he wanted to be selective about who he could love. Who is my neighbor? And Jesus said, it's not about, watch this, who is your neighbor? But what I'm going to show you, it's about being a good neighbor. Because you want to be able to choose and find a loophole in the law that you don't watch this absolutely and totally fulfill it. You want it to be minimized to suit your own purpose and desire. So the question is not about who is my neighbor. It's about you being a good neighbor. And the scripture says that he begins to tell this story. Are you with me? I'm ready to go there. It says this, that Jesus began to teach him. He said, listen to this story. I'm going to help you out. He said, there was a certain man that came down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And the scripture said that he fell among thieves. He was stripped. He was beaten. He was naked. And he was left for half dead. And the Bible said this, that there came a priest, number one, who came down this same road from Jerusalem. And the Bible said that he saw him and kept walking. And then there was a Levite who, who also came down that same road. And he saw him and he kind of looked over and glanced at him. He crossed back across, went back across the street and he kept going. But then the Bible said this, that there was a man, a Samaritan, who came down the same road riding on a donkey. But when he saw this broken down man, the Bible said that he got off his donkey and went over to where he was. And the scripture said he saw him and he showed him compassion. What I need you to see is this. The Bible first, this perspective from the victim. Here was a man that was left, the scripture said, who had been beating, who had, who had been beaten, who was bloody, who was, who, was, who was stripped of all his deeds and all his goods. And the Bible said what I love is that he said he laid there half dead. Can I just say this to encourage someone right now? You know, if he's half dead, he's half alive. And you may feel like you're half dead in this service. But if you are half dead, you're still half alive. And if you're half alive, there's still hope for you if you're in this service this evening. But the Bible said this, watch this, that there was these three people involved in this situation that he's teaching. He said there was a priest, there was a Levite, and there was a good Samaritan. But that which represents what I want to show you is three types of attitudes when it comes to hurting and broken people. The Bible said there's the attitude of the priest. Now he's a priest, remember? The priest who had just come from Jerusalem, which was a place of worship, the Bible said he came down the road, he saw him and kept going. It's the attitude of carelessness. He glimpsed and he kept walking. He didn't even care. 
And then you have a second attitude. It's the attitude of the Levite who also had just come from temple worship. And the Bible said that he was walking. He kind of peered, peered, looked over a little bit, but then went back onto the side of the road, the opposite side, and kept walking. The second attitude is, watch this. First, the priest was careless. Number two, the Levite was concerned. At least he was a bit concerned because he stopped and looked. But then we get to the third person, which I want to talk, to, talk about. First, there was carelessness. Number two, there was concern. But then number three, the Bible said this good Samaritan showed compassion. And what I want to teach to you over the next few moments real quickly is that this example of this man that Jesus is teaching to the expert in the law is a type of what the church has to be and has to become. The title of my sermon is I see you. I see you. And I'm going to get to it in a minute. But what I want you to understand is this. It was the good Samaritan. Of all the people, why did Jesus use a Samaritan to teach this expert in law? I'm going to tell you why. Because this expert in law was a Jew. And the Bible said the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. Because the Samaritans were considered to be half-breeds, if I can use that terminology. They were a mixed race, and they were considered not to be pure people or pure Jews. So there was no dealings with these type of people. Because Jesus could have used any other person or any type of example to teach this story to this expert Jew in the law. But he chose to use a, a Samaritan. You know why? Because he wanted to deal with the issue of his heart. Because in his heart, he didn't see any good in no Samaritan. And what Jesus, oh, I love him because Jesus just, know, see, he was an expert in the law. He had it in his head, but he didn't have it in his heart. But see, Jesus don't deals with your, deal with your head. He deals with your heart. And he says, I'm bypassing your thinking and I'm getting down to the root issue of your heart. You have a problem with these people. You're worrying about who is your neighbor, but I'm going to teach you about how it is to be a good neighbor. And I'm going to use the very thing that I know you don't like and I know that you're standing against to teach you a lesson and expose the stereotypes that you have in your heart because he would say there's nothing what do you mean a good Samaritan there are no Samaritans that are good I want to preach right here we got to be careful about what we deem and who we deem is good or no good just because some say that you are you have no value and just because some say that you are worthless don't come on you don't succumb to the opinions of people they may not see your value but it doesn't mean that you're not valuable they may not see your worth but it doesn't mean that you're worthless some may see you as a nuisance but there's somebody else that's going to see you as a necessity some may see you as a problem but others are going to see you as a solution that's why I love God that when he said over in Corinthians I am God I choose the crazy things of the world I choose the weak things of the world I choose what culture has exploited abused and cast off to the side those are the ones that I raise up and use and I take them to the smart people the educated people the people that sit 
in high positions and I'll use somebody that is less than, that is least likely, who come from the hood, who came out of the club, who was broke down on the streets. I'll raise them up and use them. You know why? Because when I do use them, they won't take credit because they know it was only God that did this. I couldn't help myself. I couldn't save myself. I couldn't do anything to God be the glory. Be careful what we deem as good and not good. And the Bible says, what does this, what's, what does, are you ready? What does this, 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 this good Samaritan, what does this good Samaritan teach us about compassion? Number one, he shows us the power of compassion. The Bible says, well, watch me as I go through this. I want to show you the power of compassion through Christ. Matthew 14 says that as Jesus went forth, he saw a great multitude. He was moved with compassion and he healed their sick. Matthew 15 says this, that Jesus uh, called his disciples and said, I have compassion, and he fed the multitude. Matthew 20 says he had compassion. He touched their eyes, and immediately they saw. Mark 1 says he was moved with compassion. He touched a leper, and he became clean. Mark chapter 6 says this, he was moved with compassion, and they were like sheep having no shepherd, and he began to teach them. In Luke chapter 7, it says this, he had compassion on her, and he walked up speaking of a woman who was in a processional with her son that had died and was in a coffin. But the Bible said Jesus saw her and he was moved with compassion. And he came and touched the coffin. And the scripture said her son... <coughs> woke up and came up out of the coffin because he was oh come on somebody because he experienced the power of God what am I trying to get you to see do you notice that in every one of these scriptures that compassion preceded the miraculous when there was compassion that was released when love and action began to work powerful things began to happen could it be that we're praying for the wrong thing most of us are praying for a move of God but could it be we need to pray for a move of compassion if we start praying for compassion that we will love people and reach out to people that are hurting and that are broken that are not like us the Bible said when compassion moved miracles came when compassion moved the dead was raised when compassion moved blind eyes were open when compassion was released people were restored were healed and set free I want to declare this evening that we are called to be people of great compassion love in action loving people come on helping people serving people reaching out to people restoring people lifting people up in Jesus name notice this what does he teaches us are you ready I'm gonna give them to you quick number one compassion comes to where people are. Notice the Bible said this. That the others they walked on the opposite side of the road. Away from him. But the Bible said that when the Samaritan saw him. He came to where he was. In other words he entered into his experience. In other words he came. He, and notice this. He was riding on an animal or a donkey. In other words he had to get off of his donkey. 
and come down, not only down to the ground, but then come over into the ditch of where he was and stoop down to the man. Which means compassion understands that sometimes I have to get off my high horse. Sometimes I have to leave my position or whatever that looks like and get dirty a little bit and come down to those. Because some of us, oh my God, we're too busy on the judgment seat. We can never come down to the mercy seat because some of us may look and say, well, that's what he gets. He shouldn't have never walked down through there. Listen, we cannot be a bunch of fault finders. We got to be grace givers. Come on, you never look good trying to make somebody else look bad. If you're ever going to look down, look down to lift people up. Look down to raise them up. You got to be willing to come to where they are. The Bible said this, that when we see people or brethren overtaken in a fault, you that are spiritual, restore them. With a spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you be tempted. We have to have compassion says, my heart, watch this, is to restore and not destroy. To cover and not expose. To help people get back to where they need to be. And I love it because it said, consider yourself. Don't think this is above you. Don't think that this can't happen to you. Don't think you're so good and so anointed that you might not find yourself in this same place one day. And it says, I love it. You that are spiritual, real spiritual maturity has a, is a heart of compassion and has a desire to restore, not talk about, not gossip about, not backbite. Girl, have you heard? Do you know? Now, you know, now, you know, know what? Tip it. Put away the critical talk. If you can't speak good, don't say nothing at all. Number two, compassion breaks down barriers and builds bridges. Notice that he, watch this, notice that, notice that he was a Samaritan and the guy was a Jew. What if he said, huh, ah, yeah, y'all didn't want to have nothing to do with us, did you? Now look, your homies left you for dead. Your Jewish priest, your Jewish Levite didn't stop and help you. Look who's right here now. I'm not saying he said it like that. But what I love about him, he could have easily been offended and said, just because like y'all rejected us, I'm going to reject you. But what compassion says, I'm going to break down barriers. I'm going to break down barriers, social barriers, cultural barriers. I'm going to break down barriers of skin color and race because I don't see black. I don't see white. I don't see Hispanic. I don't see Asian. I don't speak. Oh, come on, somebody. I don't see Chinese. I don't see Japanese. What I see is a soul that is hurting. What I see is somebody that is in desperate need of the love of God God help us I'm sorry you can't say I'm going to say it boldly don't call yourself a Christian if you are prejudiced and racist don't call yourself a Christian if you don't like nobody that's looked different from you don't say that I'm saved baptized 
filled with the Holy Ghost and you don't like white people, you don't like Hispanics, and you don't like, hey, I'm sorry. You need to get saved for real, for real. Because the Bible tells me that in Christ, there is no Jew, there is no Gentile, there is no slave or free, but all are one in Jesus Christ. We all need the blood. We all need Jesus. We all need the Holy Spirit. remember when I just started in ministry young preacher didn't know a whole lot was so excited about what God did in my life I'll never forget Shannon and I we went into a restaurant we're just eating it was a Saturday morning having breakfast and um, it wasn't long that I had became a pastor at Free Chapel in Gainesville I'll never forget this I remember a pastor came in, African-American pastor. And um, we were sitting, and he actually called me over to the table where he was. And he said, hey, what's your name? I told him my name. And he said, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a pastor. And he said, really? I said, yeah. And the next word he said, so where, where do you serve? Are you on a I said, yeah, over at Free Chapel. You know, Free Chapel, you know. Worship center, we used to say that at one time, worship center, it's just free chapel now. And he goes, oh, oh. And these were his words. Oh, you're over there at that white man's church. I said, excuse me? He goes, yeah, you over there at that white man's church. God didn't, God, this is what he said, God didn't give you what he gave you to go serve the white man. You should, you should be reaching your own kind. And, and, and I want to say this because, see, it rattled me a little bit. Because here I am, a young preacher, just trying to obey God and, and follow the call of God on my life. Not knowing a whole lot. And for a man that was probably could be my grandfather... The last thing I wanted to hear from a preacher and a man of God was not that I shouldn't be serving a white man. See, I know this makes some of y'all comfortable when we talk about it, but I'm okay. I'm very secure in this. I know who I am. See, I know it, man. I can say it right there. I'm not 10. I'm good. I promise you that. It's okay. Breathe. I hope he live streaming. Maybe he'll get saved. But anyway, but, 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 but. I was hoping to get encouragement. I was hoping to say, I'm proud of you, son. Thank God. You could have been another statistic. You could have been in the, in the street. But thank God. But no, that's what I got. And it rattled me. And I looked at him. I said, sir, with all due respect, last time I checked, I didn't know that the call of God was specific to a man, number one. I wasn't called by a man. I was called by God. And I'm not over there serving a man. I'm serving Jesus. And wherever the call of God, it can be with a black man. It could be with a blue man. It could be in Africa. It can be in Russia. It can be, come on somebody, in Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, South America, wherever the call of God send me I will go it has nothing to do with a color oh come on somebody 
we got to break the bed. No, I'm not waiting on the government. I'm looking to the church that say, let's rise up and be real Christians. Break the barriers. Break the stereotypes and build bridges to hurting and broken people. What would happen if the Baptists got with the Methodists, the Pentecostals with the Presbyterian, the Church of God with the Church of God in Christ, the Episcopal, come on, couldn't the Presbyterian, what if we quit arguing about this and that and come together as a united force and say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died and rose again, was born of a virgin Mary. Come on, somebody. And if I believe in him, I shall be saved oh God God help me this evening I gotta hurry compassion has vision not just sight what do you mean the Bible said that the priest and, and the Levite they saw him but they didn't see him the Samaritan saw him the other priests, they saw him, but they didn't see him. In other words, it's possible. the worst thing you could do is have sight with no vision. Sight only sees the apparent. Vision will always see the possibility. Sight only saw a broke down man. But when he had the eyes of God, he had a vision to see him lifted up. I want to put it like this. Are you only seeing what you see? Or, you're at, or are you asking God to show me what you see? Do you see people through your own filter? Or are you asking God to show me them through your eyes? Because if you're not careful, all of our filters are a little bit flawed. But you have to ask God to give me your eyes for people. Help me to see people like you see people. Help me to view people like you view people. Give me a redemptive vision of people. I know they look crazy on the outside, but I do also know that they were made in your image and their likeness. I do know that they may be struggling and they could be a little nasty and a little mean at times, but still the same blood that was shed for them, for me was shed for them. Could it be that God is calling us to not look through eyes of criticism, but look through eyes of vision that see every person as a candidate for the cross, every person as a possibility that their life can be restored, revived, and turned around? Because sight will only see a Saul, but vision will see a Paul. Sight will only see a Jacob. Come on, but vision will see a Israel, a prince with God. Sight will only see what's wrong in a person, but vision will help you see what is right. You see, when it talks about Samaria, I thought about this. See, sight, watch this. Sight only saw the woman at the well as dirty, but vision saw that she was thirsty. Good God. See, people say she's dirty. She's dirty. She's dirty. She's been with this dude and she's been with that dude and she been, she's dirty. Dirty wasn't the issue. Thirsty was the problem. 
The only reason why she was dirty, because she was thirsty. You're looking, oh my God. You're, you're looking at the behavior, but you don't see the brokenness. And that's what we got to do. Quit judging people by their behavior and say, God, let me see the brokenness. Jesus says she's not dirty. She's just thirsty. I got to redirect her appetite because I'm going to show her right now what you couldn't find in man, you're going to find in me. What you couldn't find in the club, you're going to find in me. What you couldn't get in a drink, you're going to get some rivers of living water that will quench your thirst and you will never thirst again. I'm almost done. Compassion. Watch this. Compassion considers how it's been shown compassion. Jesus said in John 15, 12, and this I command you, that you love your neighbor as I have loved you. Notice that. That you love one another as I have loved you. Think about that. Compassion considers the compassion it's been shown. Love others like I've loved you. What gets me about this? How quick we are to forget the pit from which we've been dug. I want you to think for a moment where you were before you met Jesus. Every one of you. Boy, there's testimonies all in this room. No, no, no. I just really want you to think. Where were you before Jesus found you? What was your life like before Christ? Do you remember how broken you were? How hurt you were? How jacked up you were? How addicted you were? How messed up, hopeless, full of doubt and fear, abused and misused, thrown out, left for dead? But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he came, you're saved today because he came to you with great compassion when nobody else loved you, when your friends walked out on you, when your own family member abandoned you and you thought you were in this world all by yourself with the only option of just taking my life and ending it all. But compassion, the compassion of Christ found you and forgave you and washed you and cleansed you and strengthened you and built you up and restored you and revived you. Some of you were, remember where your marriage was before Christ, but look at it now. Remember where your children were before Christ, but look at them now. And my point is, think about what all God has done for you. Look how blessed you are. You may not have everything in order, but you're not where you used to be. And my point is this, that same love that you were shown, God said, I want you to show it to others. How dare us now have selective evangelism? When I think about, that's why I never get, I get moved at every altar call. 
Because every time I see people walk down those aisles, it reminds me of when I walked down that aisle. And it never gets old to me. It reminds me I was where they were one day. I walked that aisle one day, broken and messed up and busted and hopeless and helpless. And all I'm saying is, the Bible said, he who has been forgiven much, love much. When you remember that it had not, I would have lost my mind. I'm thankful that the wreck didn't kill me. The abuse didn't keep me down. The divorce didn't eradicate my life. I thought I was going to lose my mind. I thought I was going to check out of here. But God reached down in my lowest place and lifted me up. And now that I'm here, you are blessed to be a blessing. You are here to be a help. You have been comforted to be a comforter. God wants to use your story, your testimony, your experience to be a blessing to others. Don't forget the compassion that you have been shown. This is what 1 John says. 1 John 3.17. It says, when he has it, watch this. In his own ability or goods, watch this, to help others or do good to others. Listen to the wording. But shuts up his bowels of compassion. How can he say the love of God dwells in him? Notice it said bowels of compassion. Bowels. And literally if you study in the Greek, it means intestines or bowels. And what it, the picture of, I'm not being graphic or nasty or biological, but what it's saying is when your bowels move, things happen. No, no, this is what I'm studying up. When your bowels move on the inside, actions take place on the outside. And what it says, bowels of compassion, it says when you are moved on the inside by someone hurting and broken, it ought to move you. Watch this. Don't just be moved on the inside, but be moved to do an action on the outside. But notice it said, do not shut up your bowels of compassion. In other words, don't let your compassion get constipated. Oh, you'll get it in a minute. You'll get it in a minute. And the last thing right here, and I'm about to close. Is the Bible said this. Is that compassion understands the why behind the what. The priest and the, and the, and the, and the, and the um, Levite. They, did, they knew what to do in the temple. But they didn't understand that they were supposed to be the temple. They knew what to do in church. But they didn't understand that they were called to be the church. It's not enough to know what to do in church. We got to understand that we are the church. In other words, watch this. They, They worshiped in the temple. But when they left the temple, they left their worship. In other words, they didn't take what they did in the temple out in the town. So they served in the church and they helped in the church and they did this in the church. And that's great. But you got to remember, you are the church of the living God. You don't come to the temple just to worship worship. 
but you are a temple that also worship. And God wants you to understand the why behind the what. You come in, watch this. This is what we do on Sunday. But the reason why we do it is so that when you leave tonight, you don't just come to church on Sunday. When you go into work tomorrow and all this week long, you become the church reaching out and looking to be a blessing to hurting and broken people. It's not enough just to do church. We have to be the church. And this is where my title comes in. Because the Bible said the priest and the Levite, they knew all about what to do in church. But the Samaritan, watch this, he didn't know what to do in the temple because he wasn't even allowed to be in the temple. He didn't know what to do in the temple, but he knew how to be a temple. Because the Bible said he went and he bandaged him. He helped him. He loved on him. He rubbed him with oil. He took wine and disinfected him. And this is what the scripture said. He took him into an inn. And he said, I'm going to leave him here. Protect him. I'm going to give you money to cover him and keep him. He was put in an inn where he was taken care of. And he was oversaw. And he was helped. And he was restored. And that's where that thought hit me. I see you. Because in the hospital, we have ICU, which is the intensive care unit. But I'm not talking about intensive care unit. I changed it. They're going to put it up. We're called to be intensive, compassionate units. In other words... And in and 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 an intensive compassionate unit that God can use to reach hurting and broken people. And in I see you, people are so focused on one thing. Let's get him well. Let's get her well. They're intensively working to do everything they possible they possibly can to help get that person restored and back into life. And they don't care what they look like. They don't care their age. They don't care their color. They don't care their customs. They don't care even what they believe, whether they're Muslim, whether they're Jew, whether they're Gentile, whether they're Mormons. That's not the issue. The whole point is let's help them get well. And what God is saying, I need a church that will be an intensive, compassionate unit. I need people that will be an intensive, compassionate unit. Come on, intensive, compassionate unit outside the four walls of the church. People have fallen among thieves in our schools. Fallen among thieves on our college campuses. On your job and in your businesses and all around us every day. They may not have physically fallen upon thieves, but they're being robbed of joy, robbed of peace, robbed of hope, robbed of health, robbed of saneness in their mind and what God wants to do is say I want some ICUs some intensive compassionate units that I can send out into the highways and byways and be a safe haven for people to be my hands to be my voice to be my feet to be my help because there's a broken world that is looking for hope there is a broken world that is looking for help and we are called to be ICUs I see you when you're hurting. I see you when you're down. I see you when you're lost. I see you when you need help. We are called to be intensive, compassionate units. 
Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are blessed.